You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Uh, let's just get right into God's Word this morning. I am going to continue uh, talking about the teachings of Jesus this morning. And um, I want to talk to you about some of Jesus' teaching about the idea of uh, relationship, but, but more than that, talking about the idea of religion, some of the things that Jesus said about religion. So I want to go into a, a, a familiar passage, or leading up to a very familiar passage of Scripture, uh, chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. And um, I'm sure that many of you have read this many, many times, uh, but let's just rehearse it a little bit again today, okay? So in just a moment, I'll, I'll read that for you. Um, you know, uh, I mean, how many of you have heard jokes, you know, like there's always these three guys or these three people or, or these three types of people that stand at the pearly gates and they're waiting to get in and and St. Peter comes and he asks, why do you want to get in? And the first one says their reason. The second says their reason. The third says their reason. There's always some catchphrase or some funny line about it. At least one of them gets in, but sort of by the skin of their teeth. And there's some unusual or funny thing about them getting in or them not being able to stay in very long or something like that. You know, none of this is theologically accurate at all. It's just jokes, you know. But, you, but you, don't worry, I'm not going to tell them today. I'm not going to start telling uh, pearly gate jokes today, okay? Um, but but here's, here's the amazing thing, all right? These jokes make people laugh and they make people smile. Um, but behind these kinds of jokes, behind these, these stories, there's a tremendous false assumption that prevails, all right? It goes out beyond the joke telling. And that is this. We must do something to get into heaven. It's just... It's got to be something that we have to do. You know, we just need to find what it is we got to do to get into heaven. And then when we do that, we got it made, you know. And so even in our, our joking around, we kind of foster that kind of idea that, that there's a work that we can do and it will take care of us or it, it will save us, all right? Um, and, and it is actually shocking to some people sometimes when you get to talking to them, when they, they start to realize that there isn't anything you can do to, to get into heaven, all right? It's been done. It's done for you. That's the great message of the gospel. That's this, this glorious, scandalous grace that we talk about. Uh, you don't have to do anything, all right? But that kind of grace challenges our sort of normal way of thinking about things. You know, we, we are, e- even though people tell us or even though we know this from our own research and our own study of Scripture, there's still something sometimes deep down in us. There's this little thing, this little voice, if you will, that says, but you better do this or you better do that. Or, oh, I got to do something. You know, I got to earn it. I got to, I got to get it in some way. And the, the great freedom that we have in the gospel is that you can't do that. You can't do anything. You can't find anything that will help you. It's just all been done through Jesus Christ. And that is the most beautiful aspect of our message. In our text today, we, we come across one of those those people, one of those individuals, if you will, who had a very difficult time understanding this truth of sort of like free grace or free salvation. His name was Nicodemus. 
And uh, as we move through our text, I, 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 I hope that you will dis- discover something um, uh, and, and that you can see the, the, the tremendous value of this sort of thread that runs through everything, and that is the value of relationship over religion. Jesus has some, some really pointed uh, things to say about religion, about this sort of spirit of religion, about Pharisees and Sadducees and these people uh, in the council who were very religious but were void of relationship with God. And so I want to I talk about this man Nicodemus who was a very religious man but who had this very difficult time of, of differentiating, of realizing the difference between religion on the one hand and relationship on the other. So I'd like for us to listen to this conversation just a little bit here uh, as I go through it, and then we'll, we'll try to, to unpack it a bit here, all right? Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, and his name was Nicodemus. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi... We know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. He's speaking directly to Nicodemus now. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Verse 5. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Let's leave it right there for now. Okay. It was nighttime when this ruler of the Jews is sort of sneaking around and comes and finds Nicodemus. He has decided to pay the teacher a visit, if you will. There's been a lot of speculation as to why he may have come at night, you know. Well, rabbis study at night, so he would have been up and he would have been out and about, possibly. Uh, there were crowds around Jesus, and he wanted to avoid the crowds, and, and so perhaps he chose to come at night for that reason. Uh, he didn't want their conversation to be limited. Perhaps he wanted a, 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 an open window of time where he could ask these questions and talk to Jesus privately. 
Um, I think another reason that's, that's, that's oftentimes discussed is very, very real, and that is that he feared being seen with Jesus. Jesus was teaching something different. Jesus was moving in, in a manner, in a way that was different than what they had been accustomed to. Uh, Jesus didn't enter the temple the same way others entered the temple. Jesus didn't do in the temple what others did in the temple. And Jesus was known among his peers and among the people and family as just a commoner. He wasn't an educated man. He, he wasn't a trained man. And yet people were following him. And also in John's gospel, there's sort of that thread all the way through of how darkness opposes light. Perhaps the very mention of this fact that it was night symbolizes the idea of this, this darkness that shrouds Nicodemus' heart and soul. He's not able to see in the light of the gospel yet. But for whatever reason, this man Nicodemus comes at night and he hopes, it's obvious through the dialogue, that this miracle worker has some answers for his spiritual questions. And so he... Nicodemus, like you and I, was a seeker. He was someone who was coming. He was questioning. He was asking these questions. Now, it needs to be said up front that Nicodemus was no ordinary citizen. He, he, he was not just your average guy. He was not just a, a common sort of guy. All right. Number one, he was rich. He was, he was wealthy. Number two, he was also respected by the people. And number three, he was a very religious man. He was one of the one of 70 he was one of the, the, the members of the council. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, if you will. He was greatly looked up to. He had given his life to studying, and not only studying, but obeying the law and the traditions of Israel. He was a ruler. He could make decisions. He, he was Today in, in our church, he would be deacon material or elder material, all right? He would... He would be a kind of person who could chair a committee and, and, and do things and get things done. And, and he had it all, so to speak, in terms of, of the religious circle that he was in. He had arrived, if you will, well-respected, admired Jewish citizen that the people would consider to be a noble sort of man. Perhaps all of that prestige and that Stuff that he had acquired, perhaps it had created a level of pride that would not let him come in the day to ask such questions of one like Jesus. And so maybe that's another reason why he came at night. But I want you to catch something else in this, this dialogue here, and that is that, that he had a very deep, I believe, respect and a very tremendous interest in Jesus. He, he actually designates Jesus as rabbi. He, he shows great admiration, if you will, for Jesus uh, by calling him a teacher. I mean, this is a man who is a trained religious leader. Um, Jesus is only a commoner. And so he comes to Jesus and he addresses him with this title, rabbi or, or teacher, and so we get this revelation here that he understands something. And he even recognizes that Jesus' ministry is blessed by the Lord. He, he, he says, no one can do these signs that you are doing unless 
God is with him. He, he is asserting this to Jesus as he is talking to him. So he's acknowledging this very divine blessing that is upon the life of Jesus. But uh, he falls into this sort of category that, that is described actually later on in, in John's Gospel. John describes it uh, at, at the end of chapter 2, where, where he, he is very much like one who, who, like many others, believes in Jesus but strictly because of the miracles and nothing else. He just realizes that here's a man and he's doing miracles. Something is going on. Something is happening here because he is doing things that he can't do. He is doing things that a man cannot do. And so it puts Nicodemus in a category like a lot of other people. They are searchers. They are, they are seekers, if you will. But they are looking at Jesus and they're admiring Him for what He can do in the realm of the miraculous and not for who He is and what He has done for our salvation. And so He is prone to live in this this quadrant of religion over relationship. And, and what tweaks his curiosity is these things that he has seen or heard that Jesus has done. And so he comes to him as an admirer, but not a genuine believer. And of course, Jesus knows Nicodemus' heart. Um, he, he cuts straight to the, to the heart of the matter, and he says, I'm going to tell you a truth, Nicodemus. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. In other words, he's born from, from above. And, and Jesus knows what, what Nicodemus is really there for and what he's really there uh, about. He knows his heart. So, so Jesus is speaking to him out of his understanding of Nicodemus. And it's interesting, though, that even with that knowledge and that understanding that this man is seeking something or some kind of answer, some kind of explanation, Jesus just cuts right to the place of challenging him. He challenged him, not, not in a, a derogatory way, not in a negative way, not in a condescending way, um, he's not being mean-spirited in this at all. Jesus is humble. Uh, Jesus is careful. Jesus is genuinely loving towards this man, I believe. But he confronts all of this deception, uh, this religion that Nicodemus has. And I'm going to tell you something, and we're going we're to break that down a little bit here in a minute. But Jesus, Jesus will confront every deception in your life. He will confront it. In some way, in some measure, at some point in time, Jesus will confront all the things that you are believing out of your deception, out of your whatever your present level of deception is, that is where Jesus is going to come in. He's not just going to come in back here somewhere in, in fundamental or, or elementary basics and just talk to you about those. If you're beyond that, but you're at a, a level or a point or a place of deception, that's where Jesus comes in. He's not over here to comfort you and say, well, yeah, you know all the nursery rhymes from, from preschool and, and you know all the little poems and, and you know all the little Bible stories and you know all the little Bible heroes and all that kind of stuff. No, he's going to say, hey, I'm not as interested in what you know as where you are. This is why God in the garden said, Adam, where are you? Not because he didn't know physically, geographically the point that he was at. He was better than a Google map. He could drop that point in a minute and say, this is where you are geographically, but I want to know where you are in your heart, Adam. What has happened? 
Yesterday we walked in the cool of the garden. Yesterday we had relationship with each other. Yesterday there was intimacy. Yesterday I knew you, you knew me. We understood each other. We visited with one another. Today you have this sense of shame. You have this sense of nakedness. You have this sense of separation. You're hiding yourself from me. Where are you, Adam? And Jesus will come to you in the same way. Right where your present level of deception is, he will enter in right there and he will confront that deception with all the love and care that a Savior can. So he challenges him and he says, if you want to enter the kingdom, God's kingdom, you must be born again. Born again! Now, born again is a common expression to you and I. It was not to Nicodemus. All of you, since Jimmy Carter became president, I mean, some of you may not have known before him, but since Jimmy Carter became president, everybody knows what it means to be a born-again Christian. We've heard that phrase over and over, and the church took it on, and, and we, we just engulfed ourselves in that kind of phraseology all right, and so we talk about it in those terms quite frequently, quite often. Oh, you've got to be born again. To the point that we've almost made it like there's this magical moment in the twinkle of an eye when some kind of gold dust falls out of heaven. And in that moment, only and then can you be born again. And then there's something that changes you so dramatically that at that point you never do anything wrong again. Again, and you're like Mary Poppins and you're practically perfect in every way. The only problem is that as you wake up in the morning and it's a different world and you're back to the same old stuff and the same old habits and the same old things and the same challenges and the same frustrations and the same issues and the same family and the same everything. But you're born again. And so now you have to learn how to live. And, and to grow and to, to be transformed and changed in an ongoing process. You are saved in an instant. By faith, you are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. I won't take that away from any of us. I'm saved. You're saved. By faith in Jesus, we're all saved if you are saved. If you're not, we want to help you there. But if you've been saved by Christ, you are saved. But you need to understand something. You are also being saved. Do you understand that? It's not just some moment that you put a marker on and you just go back and you make reference to it and you live like hell the rest of your life. But, but that marker says, I've encountered this Jesus, I've accepted a relationship over religion, and so I'm not going to try to be something I'm not, and I'm not going to try to live by doing all these things on this list to hopefully get in somewhere, but I'm going to walk towards Jesus, and as I'm walking towards Him, these things in this life are going to chisel away at me so that I am becoming more and more like Him. Paul the Apostle says, when we see Him, we will be like Him. But there's a process as we're going towards that, that we're all growing and changing and being transformed. This is the beauty of the life-giving environment because this is, says, hey, I know where you are, but I know you're not going to stay there because we're not going to let you. You're going you're to keep going. And, 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 and so 
the, the stock I'm going to put in you as a brother or sister in Christ is that as we are growing, we're all changing. So you're going to be changing all along the way. So I'm not going to relate to you out of this stuff back here in your old history, in your old past, but I'm going to relate to you out of Christ and my relationship with him. So I'm not going to get religious on you and make you follow a list of rules and do's and don'ts and tell you you got to do this and you can't do that because that's the only way that you, you'll make God happy because that's religion. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? But we're coming over here and saying, hey, we're walking this together. We're going along in this in relationship with Christ and with one another, and we're all changing. I, say, I like that so much better. That, that allows me liberty. That allows me freedom. But Jesus is always at work. The Holy Spirit is always at work. The Word of Truth is always at work. So in that walk with one another towards Jesus and conforming in His image, we are constantly being challenged by Christ in our present level of deception. And so this man says, I, I know you're a teacher. And I know God is on your life, Jesus. Oh, you are doing miracles. And, and it, it doesn't appear that Jesus even gives him the chance to say, well, so what's with that? You know, what's, uh, and Jesus says, hey, you need to be born again. What, what is this born again? Jesus moves Nicodemus. Like, like Nicodemus is here, and he, he's, you know, here's what I do. I'm sure that he's thinking, I, I read the scriptures and study them. I go into the temple. I give alms. I burn incense. I pray. I help the poor. I teach the young men. I, I'm doing all of these things. But I think he's like all the rest of us. At the end of the day, there's still something down in there. That longing. It's longing. Yeah. And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. What Jesus did, Jesus says, Nicodemus, look up. It's a supernatural thing. You didn't get that, did you? There's a song. It's a supernatural thing. It's an oldie. Well, it must be really old, because I remember and all of you don't. <laughs> but that's what he's saying. It's a supernatural event. It, it's something you can't get down here on this plane. It, it, it doesn't work down here, all right? Probably, probably a good translation would be, it's it's from above. You're born from above rather than born again. And that's, what, that's the problem for Nicodemus here, all right? You know, he's like, well, wait a minute. I, I can't go back in and be born all over again. You're right. No woman in her right mind is going to agree to give birth to a 200-pound man. It's not going to happen. It's... it's it's outside of the natural. It can't, it can't even happen in the natural. It has to happen outside of the natural. And so he's moving the perspective of this man, Nicodemus. He's getting him out of the religious box 
out of that, that weighty stuff that holds him down. And he says, I want to free you. I want to free you up. I want to get you out of this, this mess of stuff, all right? But the, the language and the, and the teaching here, it, it, at first it confuses Nicodemus. Prominent sort of religious thought in that day would affirm that, that all the Jews are going to be admitted, you know, to, to God's kingdom, well, apart from those who are guilty of, you know, some kind of deliberate apostasy or, or gross wickedness, or they're going to they're go in. But Jesus, he confronts that, that deception, and he says right here to Nicodemus, this very respected scholar, you're not going to get into the kingdom. Whoa! You're not going to get into the kingdom unless you are born from above. So Nicodemus says, how can this person be born when he's old? Jesus speaking on the spiritual level, and, and Nicodemus is hearing on this physical level. But, he's, but, he's, but I want to know. I want to know. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, I'm speaking about a spiritual truth here. You've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit, or you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Now, you can study that phrase and you can come up with several different opinions as what Jesus really means by this sort of unique expression here of being born of the water and of the Spirit. Um, here's how they lay out one, one argument or one, one answer is that, that he's speaking of baptism. Another answer is that he really was speaking of some kind of natural birth um, uh, parallel. Another is he's talking totally about repentance. Uh, another is that he's talking about the washing away of, of sin by, by regeneration, um, of be, being cleansed by the Holy Spirit. And I, I honestly lean to, to the end of this pendulum of, of things that I've read to you. I believe Jesus is saying that there is a spiritual work that gets done. It gets done through Jesus Christ, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with anything a man can do or a woman can do or a boy or a girl can do. There's nothing you can do to save your soul. Absolutely nothing. It is only the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Nicodemus, he's trying to figure this out, you know, this, this supernatural act that changes people. Uh, uh, you know, we, we can see its effect in some ways, you know, and, 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 and Nicodemus is saying, I don't, I, don't, I, I don't get this yet. I don't quite understand this effects of this, this grace or its origin. He's not really understanding where, where it's coming from, you know. And, and, and so Jesus says to him, listen, you're one of the main guys. You're one of the seven of the 70, you know. And what Jesus is trying to say is, Nicodemus, where, where you're at in your life and where your level of responsibility, that you, you shouldn't be having the struggle. You should be further along here. The problem is, see, is for any of us, at whatever level, we can get stuck somewhere and we can stay right there. And we can never get a, the fuller disclosure. Now, let me explain something right here as sort of a disclaimer. There is a, a very sort of like pietistic movement out there in the church, especially in America today, that is declaring that there is still greater revelation and greater disclosure that needs to come and that there are other things and that they uh, have a lot of authority. Uh, and some people take that 
greater revelation over Scripture sometimes. That's not what we're talking about here. That is not what we're talking about. We're simply saying that, that, that Nicodemus got stuck here in the place he was at, and he got stuck in the trap of religion and, and of doing stuff in order to earn his salvation or earn his right with God. And Jesus is coming back and busting open that deception, that lie, and saying there isn't anything you can do. You've got to be born again. But that's not something you do. It's not something you go back and redo. It's something that happens in the Spirit. It happens through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to be born again. You see the wind blow. You don't necessarily know where it comes from or where it's going, but you see its effects. The salvation is that way. It's very difficult for you on a physical, tangible level to understand where it's coming from because it's a spiritual thing. It's coming from God. You and I have not seen God, but God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth so that we could experience eternal life. He died on the cross so that we could have this eternal life. He then ascended. He rose again on the third day, and He ascended back to heaven, but... He released the Holy Spirit into the earth to draw men and women to him. And so this wonderful spiritual dynamic is constantly happening where God is drawing men and women to him. Are you getting this? Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? Some of you, it's rehearsing something for you, but sometimes we need to rehearse this. Sometimes we need to come back to a fresh appreciation of what God has done for us, all right? So the text here is teaching us what it means to be born again, all right? Now, sometimes, as some have said, you need to understand what that's not as, as well because that will help you. And I want to tell you what, what being born again is not. Um, it is not about human effort, this is not about human effort. You, you cannot do this, all right? If anyone deserved eternal life, it would appear that Nicodemus had the right qualifications. He had it. He was there, all right? He seemed worthy of eternal life. But this whole story here is reminding us that salvation is not about human effort or merit. We, we're reminded that a position doesn't save you. He was a Pharisee, for crying out loud. All right, he was in the Sanhedrin. In essence, he was a member of the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will. All right, uh, uh, the Pharisees were right in many areas of doctrine. Don't I don't want to mislead you here. They're 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 right in a lot of things, but they made one primary mistake, and that was that the Pharisees externalized religion. All right. It was, it, it was an outward thing. They lived above reproach outwardly, all right? They were considered the, the religious elite, all right? They, they went to great lengths to obey, all right? Not only the law that was in Scripture, but the man-made rules and regulations and traditions, and they just kept adding them, adding them, adding them, all these things that they needed to do. And Nicodemus is part of that religious elite, meaning that he kept that law. He kept those rules and those regulations and those traditions. And so by doing so, he had distinguished himself in a very religious position. My friend, you and I can do the same thing. We can do it operating in spiritual gifts. We can do it in extended prayer and uh, supplication. 
We can get so pious and so spiritual about things, but it's all out here on an external measure. And so we're looking at it outside of ourselves. It's like, yep, we back up and we go, yep, that's me. I pray, man, I pray and I pray and I pray and, and I, I go and I witness and I, and I do this and I read the Bible. I read three chapters of the Bible every morning. I read three chapters of the Bible every noon. I read three chapters of the Bible every night. Man, you are it. And it's all external. It's all, it's, it's, you're backing up looking at yourself and when you start looking at yourself, you're, you're getting the sense that everyone else is looking at me too, and I'm looking good. I am religious. You know what? That stinks. That stinks to the highest heavens. There's nothing in that that is fragrant aroma to God. Position will not save you. Popularity will not save you. I... You guys know I'm I'm on Facebook, but I don't really like it, you know. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, and I don't want that to be my soapbox. But cotton picking, you don't need a thousand friends on Facebook. If you got a thousand fifty-two friends, gosh, I just messed myself up because I I, I looked at someone's and they have a thousand fifty-two friends, and if they hear the podcast, they're going to know that I'm picking on them. <laughs> and you deserve it. No. <laughs> a thousand, you, you can't have a thousand fifty-two friends. We, we, we need a check here in, in reality. Popularity isn't going to save you. It isn't going to get you anywhere. Here, here, here's a man who is well-known, respected in the community. He is very popular. He's recognized. He's, he's revered. He's honored. I, I, I would dare say, if we could speculate here, we would say mothers pointed to Nicodemus and they said to their children, now there's a good man. There's a good man. If I weren't married to your daddy, hmm. good man. That's what we're all looking for, isn't it? A good person. We want, we want to find some good people. We, there's just something about good people. Good comes from deep down within, from the core of your, from your moral fiber and all of that. But most of all, it comes, it comes from the goodness that comes out of God, from a sanctified life that's filled with good works and faith. All right? But, but here, here's a man that, that, that's popular and, and, and well-loved. But Jesus says, you need to be born again. I'm going to tell you something else. Just because you or someone else says you are a Christian doesn't guarantee you things. Please understand that. I, I'm not trying to cause you to doubt your salvation at this point. I'm just saying, check yourself here. Are you in the box of religion or are you in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And let's all move towards that relationship. Let's get out of this religious place. Let's get out of, of all of these, these lists and such things. Prestige does not save you. You will not be saved by prestige. Jesus identifies Nicodemus as the ruler of the Jews. He was the one whom people turned to. He had reached that point of, of a prestigious place in life. 
And no doubt he could have just sat back and let the people come to him and lived out his life uh, in that manner, in this place of authority, this place of position, this place of, of, of being so well liked. He could have. But, but see, I, I believe as he saw Jesus and as he heard of the teachings of Jesus, I believe that that gnawing thing that had been suppressed through religion for so long suddenly rose up. And it's like, ah, there's, a, there's something else. I, I, there's something I need. I need to, I need to find this thing. Uh, lastly, uh, in, in, in what it's not, I want you to understand that piety does not save you. Nicodemus possessed great religious knowledge. He had so much religion. He knew the ins and outs of, of the synagogue like no one else did. He would have been the one who, who would have been there for all of the rituals and all of the ceremonies and all of the, the worship times and that sort of thing. All right? um, he, he lived uh, and knew and, and was able to, to judge what, what was right and wrong in Israel. All right? His first words to Jesus when you read this passage, he says, hey, we know. We know. He didn't say, I'm I'm wondering, or I I have questions. He said, we know. Who knows? Those in the circle of leaders. They had no doubt talked about this Jesus. And now he comes, though. They talked about it. But he comes. There's something inside of this man that is seeking. And he says, we we, we know. We know. I I want to be so careful here, but I, I, I want to help you to understand. I'm saying this as your pastor and out of love to you. These men in the Bible... In this day, Nicodemus and his associates, they fasted, they prayed, they read scripture, they had quiet times, they sat before the the altar, they taught one another and discipled one another. But they did it out of this context of religion. And when Jesus gets to him and, get, and he gets Jesus alone, Jesus wastes no time to say, you've got to be born again. You've got to have a relationship. And there's great danger in the church that we get so pious in our fasting and our praying and our intercession and our supplication and our... Study of the word and our study of the teachings and 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 going after this word and going after that prophecy and all these sorts of things. I'm not discounting any of those things in terms of value. I would actually elevate them over what many put, what level of value many put on them. But what I'm saying is, when those things become your religious box that you live in. And you are of no good to God in terms of winning lost people and discipling the earth, then something is wrong, and you have reached a level of deception in your life that is dangerous. And I believe that this is the kind of stuff that Jesus would like to intersect. I believe this is the stuff He would like to come in and, and 
lay open, lay bare, if you will. All right? Oh, let, let, let me wrap this up. I, I, have, I have much more, but what is being born again? What is the opposite of religion? I read you the story. We talked about Nicodemus. You all know Paul Harvey. He tells you part of the story, and then there's an advertisement or a commercial. And you have to sit there and wait. Then he comes back, and then he goes, here's the rest of the story. You know, he just builds this climactic thing. I, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time building up that, that climax for you here, but there is, there is the rest of the story, and Charity gave it to you. And in a really wonderful, tender presentation this morning, we started with, For God so loved. Religion is void of the one key thing that is most essential in a relationship, and that is love. And God tells you to pray, and God tells you to read His Word, and God tells you to fast, and all these kinds of things. But above all of that, why would we do all that? Why would we be motivated to do that? Because he first loved us. And God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't take. He didn't command. He didn't set up rules and regulations first and foremost. He gave his son. If if he was operating out of religion... He would have said, okay, here are the rules, guys. Now, as soon as you all get it right, I'll send Jesus. He can die for you. You'll be saved. We'll all come to heaven and have a party. Really? That, logically, that's the way it would, would play out. But he didn't do that. The Bible says, while you and I, while we were yet sinners... We didn't get right. We didn't get it together. We didn't get perfect. We were still sinners. Jesus died for us. Did you hear me? Jesus died for you. While you were yet a sinner, He died for you. That just, that just blows the box off religion. And that's what Jesus is trying to say to Nicodemus. You need to be born again. You need to be born again. That's the, that's the beauty here. Some of you, you have struggled your entire life with the rules. You've, you, you've struggled your entire life with condemnation and guilt and shame because you couldn't keep the rules. Listen, we've we got to get away from religion. And we've got to live in the freedom that is in Christ. That doesn't mean you get to do what you want to do. It doesn't mean the pastors don't get on your case. It doesn't mean we don't expose evil when there's evil. It doesn't mean that we don't address sin when there's sin. It doesn't mean you get just what you want when you want it. But it means that there is life and freedom in Jesus. But it comes from a relationship and not a religion. Amen? Amen. Right.